Caribbean Cricket Podcast with me, David Orham. In this extra edition, I'm delighted to be joined by uh, by Menas from the Australian Cricket Podcast. Greetings, sir. How are you? Very good, David. I'm very well. My cricketing mojo took a real battering last week. I had a rough week with the CPL ending <laughs> and England beating Pakistan and Sh- Australia losing to Sri Lanka. But today, luckily enough, my mojo's back. <laughs> Pakistan have beaten England. Australia are fighting back against Sri Lanka. So instead of getting a slightly depressed manners, you're getting a pretty upbeat, happy, uh, my cricketing mojo's back. <laughs> Well, I, I, I hope we get an opportunity to spend a little time uh, uh, feasting on the joy of the first two tests between Sri Lanka and Australia. But we're, we're, that's not the, the, the point of uh, this, this extra edition. You and I were hoping to do this sometime last week, but unfortunately communications were down here in Pakistan. So a little more than a week after the end of the CPL, this is actually our CPL roundup show and uh, you and I I was on your podcast not so long ago and uh, we decided that it would be great for you to come on to this one and talk about the CPL because you were giving it a, a big push this year Menas you were really wanting to sort of take in the Caribbean Premier League and uh, well I'm hoping you're going to really sort of be able to share that perspective with us today well, I'd love to, David, and let me just say my listeners are still getting over your visit on the Australian Cricket Podcast, so they're, <laughs> they're still talking about it. Um, so, But, yeah, excellent, excellent to be on your podcast. Uh, initially, I was looking at wind in the willows jokes, and I thought Chris Gale fitted any one of these characters. He could be the weasel, he could be the rat, he could be the mole, he could work in Toad, <laughs> toad Hall. Um but yeah, it just brought back memories of my childhood, just being on the the Wind in the Willows podcast. Um, but basically, I, I missed a lot of the Big Bash in Australia because I was travelling, hmm. and then we don't get any IPL coverage in Australia, or not great. So the Caribbean Premier League is covered by our local cable network, and it's on at a pretty friendly time for me. So I thought this year I would pay the CPL more attention than I had done in the past. And I, look, I paid off. It's an entertaining mm. viewing uh, TV experience. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's a very, very colourful event. I think it's got rich entertainment and uh, rich flavours. There's been some criticism already about the, the different times it was shown at this year, and that's something I'd be interested in your perspective on as a TV viewer as opposed to a Caribbean uh, uh, viewer in the in the stadium. But... Uh, yeah, just just starting off, Menas. Well, what what did you probably enjoy most about the uh, the CPL? Well, <laughs> from a personal point of view, I enjoyed when Shane Watson tried to walk walk off after nineteen overs <laughs> of a T Twenty game. That was probably the funniest moment. And then when Darren Sammy and the umpires had to convince him that there was one over to go, that was probably the single <laughs> highlight. But overriding all that, it, it seemed to me like a travelling circus. That's what I viewed it as, watching this sort of 
tournament moved from venue to venue and it, it had all the sort of trappings of a, a, tra- a circus, you know, the glitz and the glamour and, mm. the, you know, the old stages and Chris Gale's um, ugly haircut and beard. Yeah. Uh, like it sort of, So it had all elements to it. Yeah. No, it was uh, it, it's good. But how does it? I confess, I'm not somebody who's watched a great deal of the Big Bash. Um, we might talk a little bit more about uh, 2020 cricket in general um, in the coming half hour or so. Uh, or or, or 2019 cricket, as Shane Watson. <laughs> Shane prefers. Watson would probably probably have it. Um, so I've never really seen much of uh, 2020 cricket, the, the Big Bash in Australia. My my biggest problem with 2020 cricket is I find it very difficult to. I don't know, to, to empathise with any of the sides if you're not invested in them. And so domestic 2020 cricket, it just it just doesn't do it for me. I, this year was the first time I ever watched uh, the whole of the IPL. and uh, But that was because I was invested this year, because I was deputed to follow one team for uh, uh, write about it for a, a publication called First Post. And I was following the Gujarat Lions, so I was, I was well up for it and well up for them. But if you haven't got an investing in a team, it just, I don't know, it just leaves it as an empty spectacle to me. I agree with you a, a little bit. Like, I can't say that if, of any tournament, the Big Bash, the CPL, uh, I, I leave when my team's lost that I support going, oh, you know, God, I'm really disappointed. It's a bit like fast food cricket. Mm. But also, I, I do get into that sort of spectacle, that, that three hours of magic that can happen in a T20 game. And I like that sort of compact version of cricket that you can sit down, almost like watching a good football game or something. It happens, you know, in that short space of time. And I think the CPL in some ways delivered on that. I think there was a lot to watch. There was a lot of exciting cricket. I certainly don't think it has the standard of the BBL or the IPL. And in fact, I probably rate it a long way behind those two tournaments in, in, t- t- in terms of standard. I was quite surprised at the drop off between the standard of the, the three tournaments. You know, I think BBL and IPL are pretty close. Mm. Uh, the IPL may be ahead of the BBL, but then the CPL really seemed to lag quite far behind. And I think the, the, the clearest indication of that was the amount of drop catches in the outfield. I watched a lot of games, and there seemed to be a lot of drop catches, which you don't see in the Big Bash and the IPL as much. Yeah, I think I think that's very true. And it's exactly that kind of insight that uh, why it's great to have, ironically, on a show about uh, Caribbean cricket we've got an Australian and Englishman but you are giving that perspective because you've seen now, these other things now David on the Australian cricket podcast they have a segment called Mad Menners and unfortunately <laughs> I didn't get to use some material for the last show because Gav Gav one of our panelists was talking too much as, as always so I had to cut a bit but I've saved it for this one and, and oh. I got really mad about the first playoff game between Guyana and Jamaica now it was, it was a lot of build up to the playoffs in the CPL you know that really is where the, the heat is turned up mm. and I, I was I was sitting down I was ready for the Guyana v Jamaica playoff game and there was a spot in the final uh, up for grabs and there was no TV coverage because they couldn't get a signal out of the West Indies. Mm. I was fuming, absolute mm. shocker. So, And they actually played the game. They went on and played the game even though there was no signal going out. And I realised that actually most people, including all media outlets, seem to be watching the tournament via TV because Crick Info, uh, a lot of people, um, media outlets just didn't have any pictures to write any reports, which means... It really is a TV event. You don't even have to be there to cover the tournament now. 
Well, the, 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 the sad truth is, as far as quick info in the Caribbean... Uh, menace is that there is no correspondent for the Caribbean. It's been one of my biggest, possibly my biggest bugbear uh, for for the last two three years. There are several people in the Caribbean who would be able to do that. The only representative they've had in some time, probably, was Tony Cozier, late Tony Cozier, supplying uh, a weekly article. Uh, very intelligent. So, so sorry to interrupt, but I was really pissed off that they didn't have the the game on that yeah. moment. That, so that was why I was mad. Uh, I thought for a TV tournament, if they can't get a signal out, surely they have to, to hold off on playing. What do you think? Um, no, because it's not, a, it's not a TV tournament. That's This is one of the things the Caribbean Premier League has, is this identity problem. It was in its, what, third, fourth year this year? Uh, in its first year, it was played at times for the benefit of the local spectators. And those crowds, were base, those grounds, were base, basically packed out, uh, packed out grounds. By, and... In the second year, they then moved many, many, many of the times to try and hit the Indian audience so that games were being played, finished in, in the morning. And those crowds didn't turn up. This is a domestic event for domestic Caribbean people. Yes, the TV money is important. But if it is about the international audience, then it is going to negate against the Caribbean audience, I do fear that's the direction they're going. I do fear we're going to see more of this kind of thing going to America. And Damien O'Donoghue, the CEO, said earlier this year in an interview, he's talking about taking the game to the Far East and places like that. Well, well that's not in the Caribbean, Damien. Well, uh, Damien O'Donoghue has been doing some great work. I don't know if you saw the one-handed catch comp that they dreamed up. <laughs> Uh, before the tournament, but yeah. you know that that was that was exciting. Uh, but seriously, <laughs> with, with the um, the times that you touched on, actually, this is a good point because I thought that I noticed throughout the tournament that the later times affected the crowds, affected yeah. the momentum in the tournament, and I sort of when I was listening to the commentary there, they were playing some games past midnight there with the long rain delay, so they had this strange rule that you could. <laughs> have a three-hour delay and not lose any overs, <laughs> the, the which is fine for me because it's daytime here. Well, but in the Caribbean, you had the, you, you saw in the crowd there was no one there because it was 2 a.m. by the time they were coming off, man, which may be for the TV market. But if you're a local or you've got kids, you're not going to take them to a game that starts at 9 p.m. and finishes at 2, 3 a.m. in the morning. No, and it, and it showed a serious... Uh, a, a serious lack of awareness about uh, Caribbean culture as well. The semi-final, I think, finished approaching 3 a.m., which is just... It must have broken all records for the latest finish for a cricket game anywhere. It was absolutely ridiculous and bizarre, particularly when the, the, the final was then over in something like 25 overs. Uh, but the Caribbean culture is mainly, uh, generally, a get-up-at-6-7-a.m. culture, uh, if you can get a siesta, great. But people get up with the... The lights and go to bed with the dark. It's it's not a late partying culture unless you manage to get that rest in between. And having games start at nine p.m. in the evening, you're asking a hell of a lot of your local people. Yeah, I think it was a bit. It was obviously, as you say, indicates that they value the TV audience much more than they do the local audience. And it seems to me, in some ways, the tournament exists in the Caribbean, but doesn't feel too much part of it and I think there's a few elements to that 
all the staff and the the administration that comes in from all around the world gives yeah. it a real international flavour. But also I think the fact that it moves around the way it did from island to island in blocks did give it the feeling of that um, circus carnival type atmosphere. Mm. Whereas when you have a more conventional home and away format where there's a season and the home games are spread throughout the tournament, I think it breeds more support. You know, you had here like the Zooks, for, for example, my St. Lucia Zooks, Watto and Hussey's team, they played all their home games right at the end yeah. and in a real block and they did very well. But you had other teams that played all their home games at the beginning and it, it just kind of it was a funny tournament in that sense. You sort of gained momentum for some teams. And as a viewer and as a, someone living in the Caribbean, I, I think it would almost be like the circus has come to town and then they're gone again and you, you don't really invest too heavily in the, the tournament because of that. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, absolutely. It gives it a lopsided feel. And, uh, yes, it meant the likes of St. Lucia Zooks were effectively bottom, but if they were to win their last four successive games all at home, then they could qualify. Uh, very, very strange, but I can understand the scheduling because of the island-hopping nature. But on that, the, the feeling of it being an international rather than the Caribbean tournament, and the irony is I think most international people want it to feel Caribbean. Um, I really want your opinion uh, on the commentary teams. Okay, the commentary teams. I didn't mind the commentary teams. Uh, we had Mark Howard, the Australian commentator, Damien Martin, uh, Darren Ganga. I didn't think they were too bad. I think T T20 commentary is a, a little bit uh, like fast food commentary. or it, it, But I thought it was uh, pretty good. Uh, I, I did notice early in the tournament that there was clear some of the commentators didn't know anything about some of the players. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and that was obvious. But I didn't think it affected it too much. You know, we have a pretty low bar here. I know that on my podcast we're doing a yeah. commentate critique. And the overriding feeling I'm getting is that we have a pretty low bar. So all of these tournaments seem to do better than um, what we get served up here. So, yeah, the, I give the commentary a pretty good tick. I think some of the Aussies were good. Uh, some, you know, Danny Morrison over there, he, he jives things up. Um, yeah, overall I give it a tick. Okay, so from an international perspective, you were perhaps more comfortable, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but were you more comfortable then with preponderance of Australian uh, voices rather than it having a much more authentic Caribbean commentary flavour? Well, I just don't think there are, there are that many well-known co Caribbean commentators at the moment. You know, Michael Holdings left, Ian Bishop's a good commentator, we see him. Uh, it, it just doesn't, you know, the lack of journalism around the current West Indies main team seems to have affected the whole sort of commentary pool in the Caribbean. Well, I mean, this, I, I, mean, I dispute that. I think this, they're not tapping into the, the commentary people well, that are there. Well, and, you'd know. You'd know more and, than and, and the, oh. Yeah, and this is what, what disappoints me um, with the Caribbean in so many ways is not just on commentary and Caribbean Premier League and things like that. There's so many international perceptions about the Caribbean which just really aren't true or certainly can be can be challenged. Um, the likes of Jeffrey Dujon, Fazia Mohamed, uh, you mentioned Darren Ganga. There, there are guys there that could have given that a real Caribbean flavour. And it does annoy the hell out of me that you've got people that come over and cover that tournament who aren't very good commentators anyway, and 
I, I, it's, it's, so it's, I gather, I gather you didn't like some of the commentators. Oh, give, I, give me a couple of names. Come on, oh, come on, to, Dave. To name come a name, to name a name, uh, the lovely Isagua. She's she's a delightful personality. I've never met the lady uh, on the telly, but as uh, and she's great at the presentations. Uh, her commentary is dreadful, but she's been covering the tournament for three years now, I think it is, and still doesn't know who the players are. She hasn't got a clue. She's got a, a very monotone voice in commentary, and it adds nothing to the uh, viewing experience. Yeah, they had some strange commentators. They had her, they had, I think, Alex Ross, even the Australian player was commentating some games. It was a strange mix. Mm-hmm. Well, as I say, that's that's a bugbear of mine. Um, now, now, can I can I talk to you about the format a little bit of the mm, tournament? Please. Because I think it, it's a, it's not a tournament you want to think too closely about because they play, <laughs> you know, ten rounds or ten preliminary matches to whittle it down from six to four <laughs> team finals. So. But I, I do, I do like, I did like the fact there were swings uh, in during the preliminary stage. You know, the, the Zooks looked out of it, yeah. and then they came back at the end, and eventually Barbados missed out of the finals, which was a bit of a surprise. So it, while it, it was a little bit, mm-hmm. it looks a bit cumbersome to get to the finals because of the way it was structured. It did. You know, it did allow the Zooks to come back into it late, which gave uh, Mike Hussey and Shane Watson some extra life to their T20 careers. Yeah, yeah. You must obviously um, have been particularly focusing on uh, the Australian input. Uh, were, were, you, were you pleased with what you saw? Yes, you've got some older players there who are not really going to be representing Australia in uh, international cricket in the future. They're in the twilight of their, their careers, the likes of Hussey and Watson. Uh, but the likes of... Zan- Brad Hodge. Brad Hodge yes. is still playing. <laughs> but, oh, I couldn't believe that. But were you pleased with the Aussie input? Yeah, I was. Look, Chris Lynn had a, yeah. he topped the run charts for the Guyana Amazon Warriors and actually led the runs for the whole tournament with 454 runs. And, and that's a real positive for an, a young Australian player to go to different type of wickets where he had moderate success. I think actually quite, he had quite a poor CPL last year. And then to show that sort of huge improvement in such a short space of time, I was really happy for Chris Lynn. And I think the way Australia is going now in the, in the subcontinent, he's a player that will, this, this performance will only sit well with the selectors. Uh, the other one is Adam Zampa, the young leg spinner. Definitely a, a man to watch out for. He's a, just a really exciting prospect. Yeah. Well, well, on that, I mean, 2020 is throwing up so many challenges to domestic and international cricket. Um, I, I try and listen to as many podcasts as I can and, um, Something that's certainly been a theme on on yours, Menas, for some time. And also listening to the the, the review commentaries on the Unplayable podcast. I don't know if you catch those after the test matches. You and they particularly have really been strumming on this theme that you see the Australians naturally going down a road where it almost divides its two teams with very little overlap. I'm talking about the test and 2020 sides. Well, I think that's the way of the future. I don't think there's any other way it can be structured now. And I think it's hard for the players that are playing in all formats, like David Warner, if they, when do they get a rest? So it, mm. it makes sense to, to have different teams. But I think the nature of the game now is you're getting T20 specialists. That's the way of the future. Uh, and and this, this is the best way to do it. Yeah. 
do you think um do you think there's a likelihood a possibility of i mean that 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 burnout is clearly something that is a, a worry and yes a guy like warner who can play in all formats but perhaps there, there, there should be some sort of try and splitting up that uh, a guy will only play in two out of three so if he's a test match player he's only going to play in the odis not the 2020s and if he's a 2020 players i don't know i'm just making this up as i go along but equally well, within all of this do you see there being a much bigger division and a, I'll, I'll, I'll try and make no, my point. I don't think, to, to interrupt you, David, yeah. I don't think it can get any bigger than it has got in the recent years in Australia. I think the, not last summer, but the summer before, we had a situation where our test team was already on tour, warming up for the upcoming test match, and we had a, a T20 side yeah. here picked from the players that weren't in that test squad. And I just think that is something that is going to happen more and more. I think you'll see at the end yeah. of this summer, yeah. Australian summer, the Australian test squad will be in India preparing for the test matches over there and we'll have a T20 squad here playing a series against Sri Lanka. And so I don't think you get any more divide than that when your T20 side is playing one a game on the same day as your test side is warming up for a test match in a first-class game. I think you managed to marvellously vocalise what I was stumbling all over. I mean, that's that's exactly what I'm trying to say. I think that is happening already. It certainly is in more uh, enlightened countries like Australia and England. Uh, but we had at the same time the, the, the unfortunate silliness of a test series in the West Indies underway at the same time as the CPL. I mean, that can't be good for West Indies cricket, surely? No, it wasn't good for the tournament. I think coupled that with the fact that the South African internationals left midway through the tournament, I think it sort of sucked away from the talent pool of the tournament, and maybe that's why it brought the standard down from uh, why I thought it was a lot lower than I was expecting. Um, Whilst being an entertaining tournament, let me underline that. I mean, you know, we saw what Lendl Simmons go out with one pad at one (laughs) stage. We saw a drinks fridge bear the brunt of a six and was shattered, which was dubbed as extraordinary. So it was entertaining. Um, but I think the standard, because of the, the fact that they had, you know, your holders and all those players in the test series and the South Africans leave really sucked a lot of the talent out. Yeah, and, there's and, the... and as far as that politics go, I mean, it's a whole other issue of rescheduling the test series between the India and the West Indies. Uh, but I think future... The CPL should aim to have all the West Indies players available because that, that's what the CPL will benefit, those players, Absolutely. more than anyone. Absolutely. And uh, if they do reconstitute the NatWest Blast in the UK and have that as a, a focused tournament, uh, rather like the Big Bashes, presumably in July or August, uh, if the CPL overlaps with that, that, that will drain from it too. Yes, yeah. And then some. do you think the South Africans or the Aussies would just go where they get the... The most money. I mean, I was reading here, Christian only cost $90,000, which is a, a bit of a bargain uh, as far as the CPL goes. And Colin Munro, who was fifth on the runs list, cost $30,000. Mm-hmm. So there, it just shows you can get a bargain if, you're, uh, if, you, if you want to. Yeah, it, it, it is true, it is true. But it is very much a, a, a sport, and almost consider 2020 to be a separate sport from test cricket or first-class cricket, but it is a sport very much driven... Uh, well, it is in the West Indies, with the two teams. It's just the divide between the two teams, the fact that the, the World T20 
side that won lift won the tournament is is so different to what we see in the test matches and unfortunately in Australia we don't have the drama that you have to talk about in your podcast you know there's no huge divide between the board and our T20 and test players it's just the fact that with the amount of cricket being played that the test the top test players and one day players tend to rest from the Australian international T20s because that's a perfect opportunity for them to take a break yeah. Uh, it's not for any uh, underlying subplot, unfortunately. Well, the, the, one of the problems they have in the Caribbean is one of divided loyalties. Um, for a start, people always have to remember that uh, they're, they're not one nation, so there's not quite the same sense of, let's call it duty, or, or, or even being... Let's put it this way. If you had a guy in Australia who said, no, I wanna, I'm not going to be available for these warm-ups for this test series... I want to go off and play in the Bangladesh 2020 tournament. That guy would be pilloried. That that guy would be okay. Off you go, son, and don't consider yourself an Australian. You're not playing anymore. Um, I'm not saying that's the way things should be, but that's the reality with Australians and Englishmen. If they want to go off and play in these tournaments, they need to have the support of their board. That doesn't happen in quite the same way in West Indies. Their priorities are very very different. Yeah, no, Australia's players now are quite free to go overseas. The way they play the domestic system, it's quite compact. So, you know, you've got players like Lynn and Zampa who can, if they wanted, can go and play in these leagues. We had a very strong IPL presence, and it doesn't overlap with the domestic scene, uh, which which certainly helps. Well, it, it helps as well to identify that guys like Lynn and Zampa, <coughs> excuse me, are primarily shorter format players and so there's not felt to be the same loss whether they play for Queensland or Victoria or whomsoever sides in Australia correct if I'm wrong but the perspective is generally that your first class side your shield side is very much different from your big bash side well yeah but Lynn is a very good first class player so he's he's one that's sort of he's in between uh, but look these specialist players uh are just getting so much experience. For Australian, for young Australians to be able to go and play in these tournaments, you know, Lynn, if he can go to India with our test squad next year, he's just played six weeks of cricket on slow wickets. Mm. You know, what, you know that's something that should benefit this upcoming summer. Uh, it was, yeah, just it's, it's good for the young players. And I said, the, I think the Australian cricket board or seems to be supporting our Australians going overseas more. There seems to be this block when the IPL comes on that there's a miraculous gap in the Australian schedule for most of the IPL. I don't know how that happens, but it, it tends to be there now so that our players can go overseas and play in them with the full support. No, and I think that's healthy. And I think in the case of the, the West Indies, they, they've done that so that players can go off at the IPL. Uh, when they then sulk is when they'd rather not play in their own four-day domestic tournament, but be off in uh, UAE playing in the uh, Pakistan Super League or things like that, or in Bangladesh. I mean, that, to me, should not be a priority. Yeah, but it, for players like Shane Watson and Mike Hussey, oh, it's, a, it's a good way of uh, filling your retirement package, and, and certainly... Well, and, and, that's, and that's where guys uh, like Dwayne Bravo and Chris Gale, they come into that package. Uh, there's still people bleating about them not being in the test team. Dwayne Bravo's ba- barely played any first-class cricket in donkey's years, so I don't really know how many how good he would be in a test match. Bowling uh, his four overs of slower balls would would really be to make an impact. It's 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 a different game. Um, yes, he's a great loss, 
but he is now lost and people need to get over that and move on. Yeah, I was just, you know, just thinking now about some of the cricket being played during the CPL. Uh, what Did any inning stand out for you, David? Did any inning stand out for me? I, I, I can never get past anything achieved by Chris Gale. Um, and I know you want to talk about him, Menace, because you're a great big fan of Chris Gale. Uh, you love the world boss, I know. Uh, but, uh, yeah. He, I just he's... love his voice. <laughs> I just like to hear him talk about himself in that high squeaky voice all the time. Uh, but no, what 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 amazed me was that I heard Paul Nixon being interviewed, the coach of the Jamaica Talawas, and I'm a big fan of his. He was saying that surprisingly, Chris Gale, Chris Gale's not a very vocal leader. Uh, he's, he's quite a quiet player in the dressing room. Yeah. Uh, because he's probably, you know, doing his hair, looking in the mirror, you know, texting, Instagram. How, how, I don't know how he'd have time to captain the side. I think, though, for me, the innings of the tournament was Andre Russell's uh, semi-preliminary final tournament. Uh, innings where he hit 11 sixes, he scored 100 off 44 balls, and Jamaica looked that they were struggling to post a decent total, and we could see Chris Gale go back to Jamaica with the tail between his legs. But in the end, the the Russell, who had, a, I thought, an up-and-down tournament, his best and his worst, there's a long way between the two at the moment. But that inning was breathtaking. I thought that superseded Chris Gale's 100 uh, earlier. I, th- I think, I think yeah, I've got to agree with you. It, it was the highlight of the tournament. It was probably the highlight of many a 2020 tournament. It was it was wonderful. And he, he is a, a loss to, to the longer formats in international cricket, but he's made his choice that he wants to focus his skills in that direction. And it, that can't be held against him. Good luck to the man. But then um, people can't be moaning that he, you know, he can't physically be in two places at once. No, not unless you've got something, technology that I don't know about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not in the Caribbean, that's that's for sure. That's for no, sure. no, I, I, I don't make any judgment on these players deciding no. whether they can eat. No, in terms of, you know, you have to do what, if you decide Quite to right. go for it that makes you more money uh, to support your family, I don't think anyone should judge Quite players right. for making that decision. No, they can't, I don't think they're in a position to then moan that they're not, having been off playing six months of 2020 cricket, that they don't stroll straight back into a test match side. No, yeah, it works both ways. I think that's where in Australia it's a big difference that the players that are playing test cricket and are centrally contracted are remunerated substantially. So the, that, that issue doesn't come up like it does in the West Indies. Well, we're coming to the last few minutes now, Menas, and uh, I think we've done the CPL to death. I mean, we've done it well, but... Uh, I... I just don't want to come across as being too negative about it, no, because as a, as a TV spectacle, it was good to watch, but I really think it lost momentum because of the fact that it... And I really just want to get this in, that they went to Florida. Yeah. That seemed to me, to play six games in Florida seemed like overkill. That yeah. seemed to, you know, the crowds were patchy at best in Florida, and I thought that sort of sucked away the momentum at the end of the tournament. And then yeah. when the semi-finals started, we had a lot of rain interruptions. So we had these really long T20 games that were often broken up by rain interruptions. So real no fault of the organisers. But sort of by the end of the tournament and the final itself was one-sided towards Jamaica, the tournament kind of limped to the finish finish line. But I thought it started with more promise. Yeah. Um, 
I disagree with you on no fault of the organisers. Anyone who's uh, spent any time in the Caribbean, and I don't think they've spent enough, will know that at that time of year, it is uh, uh, the rainy season, as it were, um, and the rain, much more often than not, comes late in the evening, even overnight. It's very, it's quite common for it to rain almost all night and be clear all day. So to have games that are pitched to finish at 11, 12, beyond midnight, um, there, there's every chance of them being interrupted by rain. It's much like the the, the tropical storms yeah. here in Sydney in summer. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, but overall, I think uh, I, was, I was impressed with the CPL. I enjoyed my little CPL journey this year, I have to say, David. Will you be going back for more in 2017, Menas? I will be. I will be. As I said, it was a, it was a spectacle. Uh, but probably by then I'll have seen more of the Big Bash and maybe I'll have winkled my way into some way of seeing the IPL. So perhaps by the time I get to the CPL, I'll be a bit drained of T20 cricket. But, yeah, yeah. I think it's a good product. The, the way it was structured certainly has to be worked on. But overall... If you're, if you're a TV viewer, it, it was pretty good. Yeah. Last five minutes before I uh, let you go, because uh, we both uh, have important things to do. I know you've got to go and pick up the kids, and I've got to go and make my wife's breakfast and things like that. Well, this is the same son that said he didn't want me to He didn't want to play cricket next year, so I don't know. Maybe I'll just bloody leave him at school after that attitude. <laughs> well, he'd probably be a great loss to Australian cricket then, uh, Manners, and... Uh, Looks to me uh, like well, they might, they might need some. He's actually got an English passport as well, so I often say to him, if you're a good cricketer, you can play for Australia, and if you're all right, you can go and play for England. Yeah, well, if it's good enough to win another Ashes, then that's good enough for me. Now, I look, I look forward to his uh, his participation. He can be our Lady Stuart Robson or something. Uh, <laughs> let's hope he's not a Martin McCaig. Um, Sri Lanka, Australia's tour. What's, what's Sorry? Sorry, oh. I just lost you for a minute there, David. <laughs> I think... Skype must have dropped out. <laughs> well, what was that? Was that Pakistan beat England? Uh, a, more, a, more, a more general question there, Menas. Um, uh, what, what's the current state of Australian Test cricket and how do you see the next six to 12 months? <laughs> how do I see the next six to 12 months? Well, actually, Australia has a lot of exciting Test cricket going on and I did actually hear your question about the tour <laughs> of Sri Lanka. And what we've seen is Australia's wounds on the subcontinent uncovered far too easily. Mm. We started off the series okay. You know, we bowled Sri Lanka out for a, a paltry total. We got <laughs> some a lead in the first innings. But from there, we've just fallen off a cliff. And we've seen the axe come out for this final test match. And they've axed uh, Joe Burns and Usman Khawaja, which points to a more specialised approach going forward in the subcontinent because Burns and Khawaja have been in stellar form over the last 6 to 12 months, mm. but you put them in conditions that are unfamiliar and they have really struggled, whereas you pick players that thrive on those slow, low wickets uh, will perhaps get better results moving forward. I know that uh, on uh, on the Australian Cricket Podcast, yeah, yourself, especially Gav and Paul as well, you're, you're great big fans of, uh, of Rob Marsh. Um, do, you, do you want to see the axe swung on him as well? I think so. I think some of his comments leading after the first test were pretty poor, saying that the Australians couldn't have been prepared any better than they have <laughs> been. And then, 
A week later, they put an SOS for a player called Travis Head who wasn't picked in the test or the one-day squad, and they've decided now to bring him over for experience and to add him to the one-day squad so that clearly they didn't do enough because he wasn't there in the beginning, and they didn't have John Holland there in the beginning who was the backup spinner. So for Rod Marsh to throw the players under the bus and then a week later to be calling two players from Australia over to perform in unfamiliar conditions. It's slightly hypocritical. You you do wonder from his comments how much cricket he actually watches. Yeah, look, he's a very knowledgeable uh, cricket brain mm. and I just don't think he should be allowed to talk in front of the camera because some of the stuff <laughs> that comes out of his mouth is borders on the ridiculous. And, you know, Gabby, one our panellists always questioning how much cricket the players, the selectors watch and... Yeah. You know, it's it's hard to tell from their comments, but, yeah, I think Rod Marsh has had a bad, bad tour of Sri Lanka. Yeah. If you... Uh, let, let's let's look beyond the uh, uh, the potential follow-up disasters when Australia go to India. Um, if, from this distance now, uh, would you be confident about Australia winning back the Ashes next time? Yeah, very confident in Australia. I think in, in home conditions will be very hard to beat, especially in another 18 months. will be a lot stronger side. Steve Smith will have really developed some of those holes in the team. Mm. Uh, but the exciting thing for Australia is this summer we've got two day-night tests. We've got one against uh, one against South Africa at the Adelaide Oval, and then we've got a, a, a new day-night test venue at the Gabba. Um, against Pakistan. Now, I would watch very closely those two because I guarantee the Ashes will be played in one of those venues at night in the next Ashes tour. We will see a day-night Ashes test. Well, um, I I think Pakistan... I hope Pakistan will give a severe test to to Australia. Um, Pakistan won the the, the final test against England yesterday to... uh, end the series 2-2 on Pakistani National Day. So there was a lot of fireworks and things going off here in Islamabad anyway, but I think some of them were about the uh, uh, their great success. And good luck to them, wonderful to them. And uh, to me, it seems silly that uh, if India win their final test against India, uh, against West Indies, they win that series 3-0. India will take the mace, the ICC test rankings mace from Australia. India will, yeah, but they'll be number one with also in the top five, Australia, England, Pakistan and New Zealand. And of those other teams in the top five, India will only have beaten Pakistan in their most recent series. And that was nine years ago. Um, can you work out those rankings for me, Menas? No, I can't work them out, David. And I think it, it points to that no team is really dominant at the moment. They all struggle in foreign conditions. So it's really hard to pinpoint who's the best team going around at any one time. But I just think the whole way Test cricket is structured needs an overhaul. And we need some carrot at the end. We either need a championship or a promotion relegation system. And something needs to be done to revolutionise the way the format is played because we're seeing now some great test cricket being played just this week we had the pakistan england test you know india west indies now australia sri lanka imagine there was an overarching context for those three matches it would just add to the drama add to the to the mystery it would add to the the spectacle rather than now uh, you know no one really cares about the rankings because no one knows 
how India's number one or how no one really thinks Australia's the best team. So, yeah, I, I find them very hollow. I, I, I sort of agree with you. I think the rankings are a joke and, and they're a waste of time. I, I also struggle to sort of this, the modern desire to have context in things. Test cricket survived for getting on for 150 years without the need for context. Um, cricket should be cricket but I do agree with you I, I've long championed and thought that the simplest easiest way is to have a kind of uh, squash ladder or something similar to boxing and if for argument's sake let's say Australia were world champions forget their results that have gone before Sri Lanka have just beaten them in a two or more test series they're then the world champions until they're beaten I mean, I've done a I've done a historical thing going back to the start of test cricket following it through like a, a boxing belt if you like and Pakistan would be world champions at the moment and it would have given a great deal of context that final test between England and Pakistan if Pakistan had been world champions but needed to win that five that final test that final uh, test match to retain that world championship belt and then won it that's the sort of thing that cricket needs and that's just a simple fix yeah it's interesting because my calculations put Australia at the top of a world championship for test and one day cricket, I don't know how you got to Pakistan. Uh, I, yeah, I don't think I don't think we need that. I, I think now that the game's expanding and there's more test playing nations, some kind of ladder or context would be good. Anything would be better than what we've got. That is my overarching motto, and I guarantee in a couple of years, David, if you're so kind as to invite me back on the Wind in the Willows podcast <laughs> to talk about you know the mole and the rat and the weasels, <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps we'll still be having this very same conversation because nothing really would have changed. I Except Australia might have the ashes. I think actually. that's probably we'll very true. Ashes. And, and I'm sure that uh, no, we, we, there's plenty that we've touched upon. We've only just touched upon the surface, tip of the iceberg stuff. And I think whether it's here on this podcast, uh, The Wind in the Willows, or your own podcast, Menners, uh, the Austrian uh, cricket podcast, uh, we, we will uh, we will get these things sorted out between us. Yeah, in Austria they don't have kangaroos. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, well, David, thank you so much for having me on. It was a real pleasure. I, I really enjoyed chatting about the CPL. It's, as I said, there was lots to say, but I'll, I'll never forget... Shane Watson walking off at the end of 19 overs. <laughs> well, at the end of our 19 overs, I want to thank you, uh, Menners, for joining us. Uh, please do remind us where people can find you and particularly find the Australian Cricket Podcast. Yes, you can find us on Twitter at AusCricketPod. That's A-U-S Cricket Pod. But the Australian Cricket Podcast is on pretty much iTunes, every podcast app. So just pop in. Australian cricket and we'll, we'll come up and you can hear more of the same No that's lovely and uh, I do my best not to, to miss any episode and you uh, are out pretty prodigious, you're out weekly and uh, always good value to hear. This has been The Willow in the Windies, the Caribbean Cricket Podcast with me, David Orme and my special guest from the Australian Cricket Podcast Menners and both of us uh, hope that you could join us on our own respective podcasts soon Goodbye